0: go ahead and open it up and turn to Philippians chapter number 3. Last week we saw how Paul has called us to pursue knowing Jesus and being like Jesus with all of our energy and all of our focus and all of who we are. And if we're to be honest, that's a a high call, isn't it? But what I love about the rest of this paragraph of scripture that we're going to look at this morning is that Paul gives us that call, but then he encourages us as we seek to answer that call and to pursue Jesus. And really from uh, verse number 12 all the way through chapter 4 verse number 1 is one big paragraph. It's one big continuing thought. Uh, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul's writing, he's really good at writing out these really big long thoughts. And uh, so this morning is really going to be a continuation of what we saw and what we started last week. The message last week was called Pursuing Jesus. And this week the title of our study is progressing in that pursuit like Paul repeatedly says about himself in chapter 3 none of us have arrived all of us still have growing to do until God brings that to completion the moment we see him so we're all still in the middle of this progress and Paul is going to encourage us as we continue to make that progress in pursuing Jesus so if you have a Bible turn to Philippians chapter number three we're going to read all of chapter number three so we can see our verses in their context And then we are going to wrap it up with chapter four, verse number one. Let's read Philippians chapter number three, beginning in verse one, the Bible says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus. I do not put confidence in the flesh although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me, I considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dumb, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call. Therefore, because of all that, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and I now say again with tears, that many lives as enemies of the cross in this destruction. Their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters. My joy and my crown. In this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray that we'll jump into our study this morning. Father, I pray that your spirit would anoint the preaching of your word this morning. And Lord, I'm going to pray this every week. I pray it every week, Lord, because we don't ever want to go through the motions of studying your word together. I don't ever want to go through the motions of preaching your word. Lord, we desperately need you. We cannot illuminate the truths of your word on our own, so we ask you to enlighten the eyes of our heart. We ask you to anoint the preaching of your word so that we can understand what your word says, so that we can't, like your word says, be planted. In trees of righteousness next to flowing rivers. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to encourage all of us as we Own walks with you and collectively as a church seek to pursue you. I pray that we would be encouraged in our pursuit and that we would stand firm in that pursuit. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. How many of you have ever had an experience where looking back on a certain decision, you just kind of scratch your head and go, What was I thinking? Maybe as a parent, you looked at one of your children and you went, Child, what were you thinking? Usually with our kids, the answer is they weren't. But how we think. And what we think is actually one of the most vital things about us as people. That's why Paul says in verse 15 and 16, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about it, I think God will reveal that also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. So for our first thought this morning is we continue to look at how we are to pursue Christ as our goals, how we're to reach for the goal of Christ, our first thought this morning is our mindset to adopt. Our mindset to adopt. Paul is telling us how to think. He says, let all of us who are mature think this way. Now, Paul unpacks what he means by using this word mature. Some translations will translate this word as perfect. And really in 1 Corinthians, he get, does a good job of helping us unpack what that means in this particular context. There's some context where he means sinless perfection. Uh, Be perfect as your father is perfect. Uh, but in this context, it's a little bit different, and 1 Corinthians helps us understand that. Uh, he uses the picture of growing up to help us explain what he means. Look at First Corinthians thirteen nine through eleven. He says, "For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end." And then he immediately goes to describe what this looks like for us. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I thought as a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so you can see, there's this growing up, there's this maturing process that should take place for us as Christians. Again. 1 Corinthians 14, the next chapter. Verse 20 says, Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regards to evil and adults in your thinking. And so what Paul is helping us understand, as we pursue Jesus, there is this maturing in our thinking that takes place. There is this growing up and what he tells us is this maturing looks like what we saw in verses 10 through verses number 14. We could also go back to chapter number two where he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And so as we pursue Jesus, let those of us who are mature think this way. That maturity doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean sinless perfection. It means grown up. The writer of Hebrews says something very similar. Hebrews 5, 13, and 14 says, not everyone who lives on milk is experienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for, same Greek word, mature. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. So the writer of Hebrew also shows us that there is a training, there is a maturing that is taking place throughout the life of a Christian. And this maturing looks like a more and more committed pursuit of Jesus. The more a person grows in their Christian maturity, the more they forget what is left behind and reach forward towards the goal of Christ. So in the context that Paul is giving us, those of us that are mature, What he means is not babes in Christ. For those of you who are grown up spiritually, it means our spiritual discernment is grown up and we are now pursuing spiritual aims. Now the phrase, think this way, means have this mindset. It means take this truth and put it into your mind. Set your mind on this truth. It's what Paul called the church in Ephesus to in Ephesians 4. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Have this type of thinking. Take this truth, set it in your mind. Let that be the truth that rattles around in your head. And the, again, the mindset that he's calling us to is what we've already looked at throughout chapter number three. And arguably throughout all of scripture, but this is what he's calling us specifically to in the context. It's the context of what we saw last week and the week before, verses 10 through 14. The truth that we have set in our mind is that knowing Jesus is of surpassing value to anything this world can offer. Jesus so surpasses everything that we're willing to share in his suffering. We're willing, or we don't put our ultimate trust in anything but him. It means we're willing to give everything for him. This is the thinking of a mature believer, and it reflects what we've seen so far in chapter 3. Now, Paul goes on to say, if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you. It, it, at Verse uh, 15 is kind of funny. If you're mature, you're going to think this way. It's like, oh, okay, this is how I want to think because I want to be in that mature category, right? But he goes on to say, look, if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you. So clearly, there are people in this church, they're believers in Christ, but they're still not grown up in their thinking. As Paul's addressing this church, there's people in the church at Philippi. They're not grown up in their thinking yet. They're Christians, but they're not fully matured in this type of mindset that Paul is giving them. And I think we can be honest and we can admit that all of us have moments or seasons or areas of our thinking that's not fully mature yet, right? That's why Paul repeatedly said, I haven't arrived yet, but this is is the goal, this is the aim, this is what we're reaching for. Perhaps there's people who don't have the mindset that pursuing Jesus above all else yet. Perhaps they don't consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing value of Christ. Maybe they don't view suffering for Christ as the avenue to experience the power of his resurrection. And instead, they think the power of his resurrection exempts them from suffering. That's an area where we want to grow into maturity in our thinking. Maybe they are making every effort to know Jesus and be like Jesus. These are believers. They're Christians. They're followers of Christ. But their mindset isn't yet fully into alignment with what we have seen so far in chapter number three. And how does Paul address these people? Does he rebuke them? Does he bring the hammer down on them? Like, come on, guys, deal with the program. No, not at all. He actually gives them some very encouraging news. He just says, God is going to reveal this to these people. If you're in Christ... God's going to get you there. God will reveal this to you. If you're not fully mature in your thinking, that's okay. God's going to get you there. Don't beat yourself up. God is going to bring you along. We as other Christians should be slow to pass judgment on believers who aren't fully mature in their thinking yet. Because God is going to show them there. And all of us have areas of our thinking we need to grow in. And so our prayer should be, God, is my mindset out of sync with what I see here in Philippians 3 and the rest of your word? And if it is, God, please show me. Holy Spirit, show me the areas of my life and of my thinking that is not in alignment with what your words. At the end of our sermon last week, we had some of those questions for us to consider. But I want you to notice Paul's confidence as he says this. He says, God will reveal this to you. God is going to bring your thinking into sync with what he is saying here. God will reveal this. So God will get you there. Don't beat yourself up. You just keep walking with God, and as you walk with God, and as you spend time in your Word, God will develop your thinking. God will bring your thinking into alignment with what His Word says. That's why we're told throughout Scripture to renew our minds, because this is a process for all of us. All of our thinking needs to come more and more into alignment with God's Word, but it's God who is the one that brings our thinking into that alignment. We see God doing this with Peter the book of Matthew, Matthew 16, 7, 17. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now this doesn't negate discipleship. This doesn't negate preaching and teaching the word of God. This does not negate studying the Bible and building Christian resources that help shape our thinking. All of those are vital. Those are the tools that God uses to shape our thinking. These are things that we're instructed to do. These are the tools that the Holy Spirit uses to develop our thinking. Don't neglect your Bible reading and study and just think, well, God's going to get me there. I just can to sit around and do nothing. <laughs> That's not what Paul is calling us to. Get in the Word of God. Get under sound preaching. And, and more than just mine, hopefully, get other people who can help you study and develop your Christian thinking. But when we teach and as we study together and as we disciple, it's the Holy Spirit of God who takes the truth of His Word and illuminates that truth. It's not my words. It's the Holy Spirit that illuminates that truth and brings it alive. The point Paul is making here in verse 15 is if you aren't there yet, God is going to get you there. So it's okay, Christian. Don't beat yourself up. God will get you there. And in addition to our teaching and our discipling and our Bible study, Paul, if you remember back in chapter 1, shows us how to pray and how to interact for people who still may be immature in their thinking. Philippians 1, 9 and 11, he says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing, remember, in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And so as you're confronted with people who, it's very obvious, they still have some growing up to do in their Christian thinking, like Paul, pray for I'm going to pray this for yourself. Lord, help me to grow up in every kind of knowledge and discernment so that I can approve things that are superior. Ephesians 1, 16 through 19 is another passage where Paul shows us how he prays for people. He prays in Ephesians 1, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And so we want to pray for ourselves and each other that we would all grow up into this type of thinking. And so Paul gives us the encouragement and the assurance that God will reveal to us the areas where we need to grow and align our thinking. Now, verse 16, as he continues this encouragement, is kind of interesting. If you just did a surface reading of this verse by itself, I mean, let's read it. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. On the surface, it almost sounds like saying, God's going to reveal his truth to you. In the meantime, just live your truth. That was probably making some of you cringe, and that's a good thing, because that's not what this verse is saying. (laughs) There is no such thing as your truth. There's the truth. Whether you think it's yours or not is irrelevant to being true. What Paul is actually saying here is actually really encouraging. What he's saying is hold on to whatever degree of obedience you've attained, whatever degree of obedience you've reached. Because sometimes when you realize how much growing you need to do, you can feel like you haven't grown at all. Anybody ever felt like that before? You just see how much growing you have to do. You are like, oh, man. And like I've, I've gotten nowhere. And what Paul is actually saying is, look, this may be the first time you realize you need to grow you your thinking. Don't get discouraged and think you haven't grown at all. You have attained much. Keep on living up to where God has brought you. Keep living up to the truth that you have learned. Keep living that out. Keep on growing. Don't get discouraged. Don't think God hasn't grown you at all just because you see how much more growing you have to do. Just because you haven't reached full maturity in every area, I mean who has, that doesn't mean you haven't grown at all. Even though they're still immature in their thinking, he is taking the growth they have attained seriously. He's like, this is a work of God. Keep on living up to that. Don't discount that. Don't discard that. It's easy when we become aware of how much growth we still have to do to get overwhelmed and feel defeated. But Paul is combating that in this short little verse. He's saying, look, you have come leaps and bounds in your growth, it's just God has more for you. So keep on living that out. Keep on growing. That truth that you have attained, keep living it. Just because you have more to go doesn't mean God hasn't brought you somewhere yet. God has begun a good work in you, and he's going to bring it to completion is what he's saying. Don't get discouraged just because you're in the middle of that process. And the middle is often messy, isn't it? But the encouragement Paul is giving us is God has come. He's going to bring this process to completion. He's going to reveal this to you. Keep living up to wherever He has brought you. God is the initiator of our spiritual growth. Our job is to hold on and press on. We hold on to the growth that God has brought, and we press on to the growth that He is still bringing. And remember and believe, God is the one that's doing the work. Faith in our Christian growth is believing God is working, and that God will finish this work. My job is to hold on and press on. That's Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's our job. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both the will and to, and, to, and to work according to his good purpose. So we hold on and press on, believing God is going to finish this work. This is the mindset that we have been called to adopt. But as we continue working through this paragraph, as we move into verses 17 and 19, Paul gives us, as he continues to encourage us, He gives us our examples to follow. Our examples to follow. Look at verses 17, 18, and 19. He says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. This is our examples to follow. Then he goes on, he says, for I have often told you. So, follow their example, because I've often told you, and I'm now saying again with tears, that many of his enemies are the cross. Their end is destruction, god is their stomach their glory is in their shame they're focused on our things he says now obviously we're given good examples and bad examples right but paul isn't setting himself up here as the only example to follow in our text the good examples that paul calls us to follow are, are first himself the imitators of me but then he also says to follow other people who are following his examples No doubt he was thinking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were, we saw in chapter 2, examples of this type of mindset in real life. The point he's making isn't we need more authority. The point he's making is these people that are following Christ can be an inspiration to us. They can inspire us to live like Jesus. It's not just Paul who's living this way. Paul says, I'm living this way, but so is Timothy. So is Epaphroditus. So is the businesswoman Lydia who helped start the church. So is... Jeremy, so is Red, so is Stephanie, so is Sarah, so is Nancy. When we look around and we see people who are by faith, by the grace and power of God, living their lives in pursuit of Jesus, we're encouraged and we're inspired to live that way. as well. When we see other people by grace through faith, people who aren't perfect but who are reaching towards that goal, living by faith, it reminds us and it inspires us that this can be done. We may be in the messy middle and we may be discouraged, but when we lift our heads up and we see man, God is doing the work in so many people's lives and he wants to do that in my life too. That's inspiring. That shows us that God is doing this. That shows us that the Christian life is worth living. Now, I want to be sensitive here, but the type of thinking that says, I don't need examples of the Christian life because I have Jesus, it sounds right, but it's not really difficult Now again, I want to be sensitive because sometimes we have followed examples and we've been hurt. So I want to be careful here. We're not saying people are equal to Jesus. Not by a long shot. But throughout scripture, we are told to follow people's examples. Look at First Peter chapter 5. He's talking to pastors. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So he's not saying like, I'm, I'm not saying this like I've arrived around your boss. I'm your fellow elder and witness to the suffering of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So at a very minimum, God calls pastors and elders of the church to be examples. This means if the leaders in your life are Christ-like examples, you can follow them. You can follow their example. You can emulate them. He encouraged Timothy with this in 1 Timothy 4.12. He said, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for believers in speech, and conduct, and love, and faith, and purity. Being a Christian leader is not about being a boss. He made that pretty clear in uh, 1 Peter 5. It's about being an example. And Paul encourages Timothy, look, you're young. So your goal should be to go in there and just be an example of what it means to follow Jesus. Hebrews takes this beyond just the pastors of a church. It says in Hebrews 13, 7, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe, observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. And so several scriptures tell us that we are to follow the example of other Christians who are mature in their thinking and pursuing Jesus. And back in our text, in Philippians, this is the second time in the short little book, Paul has called our attention to the example of other believers. He did this in chapter 2 with Timothy and Epaphroditus. He said, honor them because of the way they live. And a good example always points us back to Jesus. We understand people aren't messiahs. And my heart hurts for people that have been hurt by Christian leaders' bad examples. And there's a lot of serious warnings God gives to Christian leaders in that situation. But that doesn't negate the fact that God still calls us to follow good examples. People who are following Jesus are a reflection of Jesus, and they can help us be reflections of Jesus as well. This is why Hebrews 13:7 says, carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Like this isn't blind follower, followership. You, 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 you watch your leaders' lives. You, you carefully examine them. You make sure that what they're preaching is how they're living it, as their teaching comes into alignment with the Word of God. Then uh, the writer of Hebrews says you can imitate their faith, you can follow that prayer. And then Paul contrasts people we should follow against people we should not follow. And really, the the, the flow of thought is, hey, follow our examples because there's people out there who live as enemies of the cross. We need to watch out for these people. These are not people to follow. And this reality, it breaks Paul's heart. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, for I have often told you, and I now say again, with tears. That many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. For God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They're focused on earthly things. These are not believers. These aren't people who are still growing in their pursuit of Jesus. Paul is weeping because there are people who are literally enemies of his Savior. It breaks his heart. Enemies of the cross is most likely a reference to the Judaizers who added works to the salvation, thus nullifying what Jesus did on the cross. They are, as Romans 8, 7 says, they have a mindset that's hostile towards God. Paul says these people end is destruction. It's hell. And he's broken on the Bible. I mean, Matthew 7, 13 and 14 helps us understand that this is talking about eternal destruction. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad. That leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And if you find it, we know it's talking about eternal life in the context of Matthew 13. So in contrast to eternal life, destruction is eternal destruction. And this reality makes Paul. These people live for themselves. Their God is their stomach. That means they worship their carnal, sinful desires. Their glories and their shame, that means they're celebrating their sin. They're not even trying to hide it. They're just flaunting it. They're celebrating it. It's their glory, he says. Their only focus and care is on earthly things. Paul describes this in Ephesians 2. He says, this is how we all were before we were saved, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the way of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts were by nature children of wrath as the others were also. When I read these verses here in Philippians 3, it's such a poignant reminder. Like you read these verses and you can't help but think of society today, right? Celebrating and flaunting sin, worshiping their carnal appetites. But it's a poignant reminder that nothing has really changed. Perhaps the expression or some of the specifics of the sin may be different, but when you boil it down, it's our world is lost in desperate, desperate need of a Savior. And what I want to point out is, notice Paul's emotions. It's just these two little words in this verse, but it tells me so much about the heart of Paul. As Paul is dealing with this hard truth, as he is warning this church there are people who are enemies of the cross. So follow our example, please. He's weeping. There's no self-righteousness in his spirit. There's no, ah, they're going to get what's coming to him, even though they will. The fact that they will is what breaks Paul's heart. There's tears. He's broken and he's crying over people's lost sake, state. And if we believe the truth of God's word, we have to say these things. We have to say the end of this is destruction. The end of sin will lead you to hell. It's eternal separation from God. But Christian, we should never delight in such hard truths. Paul is weeping like Jesus did. In Luke 19, 41 and 42. As he approached and saw the city, the Bible says, as he's weeping, he said, "If only you knew this day what would bring you peace." But now it's hidden from your eyes. Paul in Romans nine receives this with him. He says, "I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I, if I could, I if I could, I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters of my own flesh." Paul's like, "If I could, I would give my own salvation to my fellow Jews." There's so much. There's so much sorrow because people he knew, people he loved, were headed straight towards hell. And so what Paul is helping us understand is a mature mindset, a mindset that is pursuing Christ, is heartbroken over the reality that people are headed towards destruction. Genuine love for people will lead us to speak the truth of God's word, but never with a sense of self-righteousness, but rather genuine many Christians care, and people, this is society in general, too many people care more about making a point, and that reveals a lack of love and charity. and to be honest, that's, that's not an example to follow, so if the people that you're following and listening to have more of an ax to grind, and they're not genuinely broken over people's lost state, you're following an immature person. I don't think it's a mistake that the first thing Paul says after he says, follow me, is this brokenness over the difficult reality of people's lost state. But as Paul deals with these hard truths, and as he says, hey, please, follow me. Dear Christians, follow us who are in love with Jesus, because there are enemies of the cross out there. As he's dealing with this difficult reality, he lifts our eyes and shows us, thirdly, our hope to focus. Look at verses 20 and 21. I love the way he ends chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven. So here's the flow of thought. They're focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong to the world. They're only focused on earthly things, but they're part of this world. But that's not our home. That's not where we belong. Our citizenship is in heaven. So lift your eye, dear Christian. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. That's a great way to end the chapter, but it's not how he ends the thought. We'll see that in a minute. Now, verse number 20 starts with the same Greek word as verse number 18. Sometimes in English, this word gets translated as but, or for, the Greek word is gar, or yar. It's pronounced one of those ways. Uh, But what that means is, this shows us that Verse 18 is connected to what went before it, and verse 20 is connected to what went before it. So here's the flow of thought. Paul is saying, follow my example as I strive for Jesus, because there are enemies of the cross out there, and we're citizens of heaven. What he's helping us understand is we let our homeland define our customs. And our homeland is heaven. He hit this back in chapter 1. Remember, 27 and 28, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The chief custom or the chief value of our homeland is worthy of the gospel. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Being a citizen of heaven is also an argument for why we press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's where we belong. So let's live like it. he says. Lift your eyes off the world. Yes, it's discouraging. Yes, it breaks our heart. But this is not our home. We want to live like where we this is what it means to live worthy of the gospel. We pursue Jesus. We pursue his kingdom. Because Paul says, that's where we belong. That's our final home. We're just exiles here on this earth. Every other allegiance is secondary to that one. Every other pursuit is secondary to that one. And when Paul reminds us that this world is not our home, he says we are eagerly waiting for our Savior from our home. That tells us that no person on earth is worthy of attaching our ultimate hope to because they're not from our home. <laughs> Sorry, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're not our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> In verse 20, Paul says, we're waiting for a But, but Just side note. this isn't my Remind yourself of that every time an election comes around, okay? Like, this person is not from my home, so I may be voting for them. I may think they're the person for the job. Vote for them. Be educated. But... Don't attach your ultimate hope to it, because like we learn every four years, and we get surprised every four years, oh, that guy didn't really do a good enough job, right? He's not, we're not supposed to put our hope there, because that's not where, that's not where we belong. <laughs> anyway, verse 20, Paul tells us we're waiting for a Savior who is from our home. So we have a hope. We have a sure hope. And the fact, what Paul is saying, we're waiting for our Savior, which means we're going to be saved from something that is coming. We're eagerly waiting for a Savior. So we're waiting for Him to come. That means at His coming, we're going to be saved from something. Well, what did He say just a few verses before? in is destruction. And so we're waiting for a Savior who's going to save us from destruction. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. For they themselves report what kind of reception we have from you, how you turned to God from idols. And now you turn to serve the living God, the living and true God, and you wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Therein there's destruction, but Jesus is saving us from that destruction. Jesus doesn't just save us from destruction. Though. Although, if <laughs> that was it, sign me up, hallelujah, right? But he doesn't just save us from destruction. Paul also tells us that he's going to give us a glorified body. Look at verse 21. He will transform the body of our humble condition. Some translations say lowly condition. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. By the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. What good news. (laughs) Jesus cares enough about your body even to redeem that. Your physical, tangible body will one day be made new and it will be perfect and it will be glorious. Again, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians a lot. A few more verses in there I want to point out. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. However, Paul says, this body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Okay, that makes sense to us. Our body is for the Lord. But get this. And the Lord for the body. Well, that's new. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. That's what it means when he says the Lord is for your body. He's gonna. He, he, he is for you. one day will give us a new one that will no longer be tainted by sin and the brokenness of the world. Romans 8.23 Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we who are believers, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. What is the adoption? The redemption of our bodies. See, right now, we're in the groaning stage. We're in that waiting stage. Why? Because we're fighting sin. We're in that groaning stage because we have health struggles. We're in that groaning stage because we know, we literally feel it in our bodies, that this is not how God originally designed it to be. It's interesting, when you look at all the results of the fall, how much of that affects our physical being. And so right now, we're in that groaning stage, and we long for healing in our bodies. And we praise God when he gives us those healings. But we know, ultimately, our bodies are going to waste away. And our ultimate hope is that Jesus is going to give us a glorious body like 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary life affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. And part of that that glory is a glorious body like Jesus So while we wait, while we groan, while we struggle, we do not give up. We continue to pursue righteousness but we do so with the sure hope that God is going to transform our bodies from their humble condition to be like his glorious body. Again, 1 Corinthians 15 gives us a great picture of this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. in corruption, raised in incorruption. Our glorious bodies are gonna be incorruptible. No longer tainted by sin, no longer tainted by sickness. They're gonna be perfect in every way, incorruptible. He says, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. They'll be incorruptible, and they will be glorious. I don't know the full meaning of that, but I'm excited to find out. (laughs) Sown in weakness, raised in power. So they're going to be incorruptible. They're going to be glorious. They're going to be powerful. No longer are we going to have to struggle with the weaknesses and the ailments of our physical bodies. They're going to be powerful. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Matthew 13 says, The righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Incorruptible, glorious, powerful, spiritual, shining like the sun. How awesome and amazing is that? Yeah, it's a struggle a lot of days. We groan, we wait, we pursue, we fight sin, but we do not give up because we know it's coming. There's a hope that we are looking forward to. And so we want to chase after that in our pursuit of righteousness. And Jesus is going to make it happen by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. We looked at that earlier in Philippians chapter 2. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. It's not going to be the baby in the manger. It's going to be the king riding in triumphant. And he's going to subject everything to himself. And by that same power, he's going to give us. So, yeah, the world is crazy. And yes, that should break our hearts. Yeah, we still have We still have a race to run. But our Savior has the power to change and fix it. And one day He will change and fix it. And so we do not give up, we keep on pursuing. Now, if that was the end of the paragraph, that'd be a fantastic way to end. But He, he doesn't end His thought with 21, He ends His thought with chapter. So then, my dearly loved and longed for. So then, because of all this, because of all this amazing thing, yes, because the world is hard and broken, but we have a better hope. So then, because of that, my dearly loved, my longed for brothers and sisters, you can see the care that Paul has. He calls it my joy and my crown. He loves them so much, he wants to give them one more encouragement as he's telling them this truth. He says, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Can you not sense Paul's heart and Paul's love for this church as he implores them, Stay faithful. Yes, there are enemies of the cross. Yes, they're trying to pull you away from the true gospel. Yes, there's so much that you're struggling through right now, but stand firm. Don't give up. Keep on pursuing Jesus. Keep on reaching towards Jesus. Keep on running your race. Stand firm. Not in your strength. Stand firm in the Lord It's like, church, our life is so completely tied up in the life of Jesus that we can securely stand firm in him. Stand firm in your pursuit of Jesus. Hunter, stand firm. Debbie, stand firm. John, stand firm. Joe, stand firm. Stand firm in your pursuit of Jesus. not just be hearers of the word. Lord, we've heard your word this morning. I pray that your spirit would enable us to be doers of the word. That your spirit would give us such a love for your word and for the promises that you have given us that we would stand firm, that we would pursue you with everything that we are. I pray that we as a church would forget what we need to forget, forget what we need to leave behind, forget what's going to Tempt us to put our confidence in that instead of you, that we would forget what's left behind and just reach forward to you, and that we would be a church that just pursues you, that we would stand firm in the Lord as we